0: Welcome to the Modern Yogi Podcast, Podcast. an exploration of ancient wisdom. Hello, hello,
1: everyone. Welcome to... What episode are we on? We're
2: on episode one. This is the beginning, guys. Oh, the start snaps. of it This is so exciting. Awesome. Well, thank you so much for tuning in. My name is Shama Singita.
1: My name is Shamali. And I am Priya Darshani. And we
2: are going to take you on this epic journey of understanding what book?
1: The Bhagavad Gita. That's right.
2: So I'm super excited. This is a really, really important book, and I think... It has changed all of our lives, all three of our lives in, mm-hmm. in such a big way. And um, and so this is an important book too. Like this is like when you go into a courtroom in India, like they make you put your hand on this <laughs> book to be like, I will not tell a lie, you know, like That's it's an right. important book in, uh, in Eastern philosophy.
1: Not to mention it's part of one of the most, if not the most ancient traditions of the world where Buddhism stems from, where so many modern day self-help guidances come from. It really is the start, the origin of it all. Yeah. yeah. I so love it. Today we're going to set up the scene. So
0: we're just going to talk about where do we, where does this starting from? Like, what mm-hmm. is this about? Who are the people involved? Like... We're just gonna kind of set it up for you um and we got some really fun analogies for you coming
2: <laughs> yeah and, and and to be honest I think that when we've all tried to read this book on our own it mm-hmm. can be very difficult but I feel like this podcast is to take you through this book in a way that is super digestible mm-hmm. super easy yes. to understand and I wish I wish we had this podcast when I was a kid oh like learning the game. you know what I mean
1: I mean honestly we're approaching this to help ourselves as we try to help as many people as we can also on the journey like Like a book club in a way. We're going to talk it through together.
2: Yeah, I love it. There's so many gems of wisdom inside Mm -hmm. this book and there's so many secrets to life and like, I'd Mm -hmm. like to say life hacks in this book. Mm -hmm. And so we're going to dive through every single chapter, every single verse in a way that is super digestible.
1: And connectable, relatable to your day-to-day life. It's not like to do this, you have to move to the Himalayas and renounce everything and become a yogi. This is practical wisdom. How will it enhance your own life?
2: Yeah, I love it. And so we get we should probably introduce ourselves oh yes oh, yes my. like who are we even <laughs>
1: these voices that are floating around now on your podcast yeah, yeah. So, so asta who are I mean shama <laughs> which that's also a story behind those two names for Absolutely. another episode maybe yeah, yeah
2: who are you okay so um just a quick summary of like my journey I'm gonna I'm gonna start from the womb. No, I'm joking. I'm not gonna. To to <laughs> um, so basically, I was born in New York City um, to really Indian parents. I, my dad worked for Air India. That's how Indian we were. We were super <laughs> Indian. And um I remember after about, you know, ten or eleven years, we moved up to Canada. And so my parents were super conservative Indian Hindu parents. Mm. I was dragged to temples every single Sunday morning. And I would go to like so many different temples, too. It wasn't like the same temple. It was like my mom would be like, what's this flavor of the weak temple? (laughs) And so uh, she would take me to temples and I would see all these different statues and deities. And like some of them were elephants and some of them, you know, it was just like so confusing to me as a kid Mm. getting dragged to all of these temples. And so um
1: overwhelming I, I, probably oh my
2: god 100% like super overwhelming and like the thing was I was an Indian kid growing up in America and I didn't <laughs> understand like I didn't understand a lot of the language I didn't understand Sanskrit and that's what the the priests were were talking in like they they were speaking a different language completely and I
1: was just so bored out of my mind because I didn't understand what they were saying <laughs> at an age probably where you just want to also fit in and yeah. figure yourself out, yeah. be quote unquote normal. Everyone is hanging out at the mall on a Sunday, and I, <laughs>
2: my mom dragged me. My mom dragged me to a Hindu temple what every I
1: single. Here? Yeah,
2: exactly. Like every single Sunday, and so at one point when I was like in high school, I kind of rejected. This like Eastern spirituality, Hinduism, I rejected Mm. all of it because it didn't make any sense to me. I thought, you know, okay, you have one life and then you, you know, you work and you pay bills and then you die and that's it. You know, Mm. one life to live. And when I got into college, I think a lot of things changed for me because I started Mm. asking deeper questions. And I think that's when you start asking questions, like that is the start of your spiritual journey.
1: Did something yeah. spark you to want to ask those? like maybe a rough moment or was just your inquisitive nature? I think
2: it was like I was having a rough time in college. Like mm. I went to a super prestigious, like really smart business school. This was the mm. Harvard of Canada, which <laughs> it's, it's in Canada. So nobody cares about it. You know what <laughs> but like, it was a very difficult school to get into. I always felt like an outcast because mm. I, uh, this is totally a side note, but I like took like arts and crafts in high school and I got it and like I weaseled my way into this really prestigious school. And so I was surrounded by geniuses and I felt so out of place. And I think we've all been to that place where we just feel out of place. And I started asking questions. I was like, there's got to be more to life. There's got to be more to life than going to school and finding a job and then paying bills and then dying. And so-
1: What's like, the point of I, all what's that? What's the
2: point of all of it? And mm-hmm. so I started asking those questions, and I came mm-hmm. across this this Bhakti Yoga Club. Um, and so I was like, "What is Bhakti Yoga?" And this is like a term <laughs> like like that's been thrown around a lot these days like this word
1: bhakti right 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 and interesting you were raised also in a hindu family and Mm -hmm. even you what's bhakti yoga i I had
2: no idea what
1: bhakti yoga was i've never heard that term in my entire life
2: and i had been going to (laughs) hindu temples my entire (laughs) life right and so someone explained it to me there was like a club on campus called the krishna club Mm -hmm. and it was about bhakti yoga philosophy and i was like what the hell is that? And so they explained that like bhakti means love in Sanskrit Mm. and yoga. And like, this is a term that we hear all the time of like yoga is like asanas and like shavasana and lululemon, you know what I mean? (laughs) But like yoga is actually a Sanskrit word where it means to connect to something higher than yourself. And Mm. when you combine those two words, bhakti yoga, it means to connect to something higher than yourself through love And I was like, oh, my God, what a beautiful concept. It's like you're connecting to something bigger than yourself through a loving relationship. And Mm. I was just mesmerized by this club and the people that I met at this club. And then I was introduced to the to the book that we're talking about now, the Bhagavad Gita. And Mm. I was like, it it answered so many questions that I had as a kid in college.
0: Did you read it on your own?
2: I actually did. I did. Oh, wow. I read it on my own, and I gave up. Actually, I gave up <laughs> after the first chapter because, like you guys know, the first chapter is so dense. Like it's just like really, really hard. So many names. Oh my god! There's so many names. Everyone's blowing a conch shell. Like <laughs> them makes sense. And so I'm so glad that we're doing this podcast because just like going through verse by verse and explaining things in a way that makes sense and makes right. it digestible would would have been super ha- like super great. If I was at that point, yeah, super helpful. If I was a college student, mm. and so this book has changed my life in so many ways. And uh, I hope that as we go through this podcast and we go through every single verse and every single chapter, I hope that it changes yours too. So mm. that's my story. That's it's awesome. Beautiful. I love that.
1: The cool thing hearing your story, everyone finds their path coming from a different angle. And mm. even within us three, we all have slight different approaches that you'll will soon reveal. but... You yeah. know, there's not one set way to come to the path yeah, of yeah. finding yourself. Definitely. All right,
2: Shemla, what about you? What's your story <laughs> here?
1: <laughs> well, you know, similarly, back at the wound. No, uh, my <laughs> parents, they were actually, you know, originally from Argentina, from Buenos Aires. They were two hippies born in the, you know, the 70s where you go on your spiritual journey trying to find something And they were searching. I remember my mom saying she was a teenager and really wanting to feel God's presence. And she deeply prayed, please help me find you. And in fact, there was uh, one of the, you know, what's the old versions of the CDs, the record labels that she found this whole art of Krishna and Arjuna. And she didn't even really know who this being was but she put it on her wall and she remembers like listening to the music. I think it was one of the Beatles albums and she wanted to discover who is God. I want Mm. a personal relationship with God. So, you know, both of my parents, one thing led to another and they ended up going on their spiritual search around the world, Mm. which I think says a lot about them. They came from affluential Catholic families in Argentina and they left all of that behind trying to adopt a simpler lifestyle, but seeking a higher consciousness. So a little Ooh, backstory. That.
2: That's so great. Mm. Do you know what Beatles song that they were, that they were mesmerized by? Cause there's a couple ones. <laughs> there's a
1: couple, you yeah. know, the, what's the one M- that they My Sweet sing? Lord. My, my Sweet Lord. Lord. I'm I'm Alicia, Lord. My Sweet Lord. Yes, yes, yes. <laughs> Which, yeah, that actually, I'll bring it back to the Beatles in a moment. And mm. the, as their story unfolded, my mom was actually studying at School of Fine Arts in England. My dad was living in Jamaica. He went three different times to try to convince her to travel the world on their search. She used to say he would just show up. She'd be putting something on the bulletin board. She'd turn around, and my dad just sitting there. And she's like, "Oh my god!" And then they went. Did you say your dad was in Jamaica? Yeah, they were kind of like very hippies. Oh, like, wow. there's this story about one of our swami, the swamis in our line, Radha Swami, who has a book super recommendable, "The Journey Home." He has a really far out story, and I feel like my parents one day should write a book. Not quite. They didn't have the same story as Rod Swami, but traveling on your search. So he was living in Jamaica, and my mom was. Yeah, it's studying in School of Fine Arts. And you can imagine, here comes my dad, Adrian, with long curly hair. He would play the flute and convincing her to leave everything and travel the world. Anyway, so they lived in the south of France for some time, picking grapes for Monsieur Thibon, their uh the worker there. And my dad used trees as the poles. They put a tin roof That was where they slept. They had a cold river running next to them. Oh, they They were like real hippies. No, for real, for real. I'm (laughs) talking. They would take their showers in the river. My mom said they had the clothes they wore, the clothes they had on their backpack, and that's it. They in a way lived a very yogic lifestyle before they found the philosophy that they wanted. They described once a month they would stay up all night fasting, doing yoga. And in our tradition, once a month, we also kind of do fasts and don't eat grains and try to focus more on our spiritual path.
2: And these are Argentinians, these right? These are Argentinians. Like, this is not a normal Argentinian Friday oh, night. You know, no, no. like a side <laughs> note, my
1: mom's father and her grandfather was the owner of one of the biggest slaughterhouses in Argentina and their wow. only daughter became a vegetarian. So wow. it's kind of like, you know, there's a restaurant here in Venice Beach called The Butcher's Daughter. That's in a way her story. And yeah, so anyway, they wanted to, their plan was eventually to get back to the Andes where they had met and live a sustaining lifestyle there. And they were in England at this time around the temple where that George Harrison donated. And they wanted to give money to a good cause. They ran into some devotees that were heading to India. They gave them some money to donate. And that's how they came into contact with the Bhakti Yoga philosophy. Mm. And much like you, Shama, they were like, oh, wow, these are the answers that we've been looking for that we didn't necessarily find within our the what we were raised in. Mm-hmm. And, you know, one thing led to another. They moved to Dallas, Texas. They helped in those projects, building a vegetarian restaurant. They had an organic farm within this Bhakti Yoga community, and that's how... It all started for me. I was and born then you in, were born in Dallas. Yeah, born okay. in Dallas, Texas, <laughs> born and raised in a bhakti yoga community across the street from the temple. And for me, it was so interesting being raised with one foot in this ancient world and the other foot almost like outside it because I feel I represented everything that in a way Dallas was not. See, I trained for uh, figure skating in the Baptist belt, Southern Republican, Texas. And here I am with an Indian name, Argentine (laughs) parents. I'm a vegetarian. I was definitely the oddball, but Mm -hmm. in a way... It built confidence in who I am, and eventually, all the cool kids at the ice skating rink were trying Kitri with me. It was so oh, funny. Oh I love that. <laughs> um, and a little backstory on me: I was a very hyperactive child. I couldn't sit for more than five seconds without jumping up and doing cartwheels. So my mom like signed me up in eight different activities. Poor her, driving me all over the place. Finally, she's like, "Choose two. I chose Bharnatyam and figure skating. What is Bharnatyam? Oh, Barnatium is mm-hmm. pla- right. What is it? Classical <laughs> South Indian dance. So I'm sorry, I did. You're, you're an Argentinian
2: woman, <laughs> like a child, growing up in Dallas, Texas. And you, I mean, you look very fair-skinned. Like, you don't look like someone who does barnatium. Natyam. Mm-hmm. You know
1: what I mean? Like, like I was the only way. white kid in a room full of these <laughs> classical, traditional, you know, they come <laughs> from Indian so cool. families, wanting them to do barnatium. And at that time, I was like, I want to be with my best friend who also does barnatium. Let's do it. So I did it for nine years. We were about to do our R Engage from, and... Connecting the Gita though, the Bhagavad Gita to the pressure for me, ice skating was everything. I like trained 360 days a year, every day for my goal was about to go to the Olympics representing Argentina in 2014. And my mom was constantly talking to me whenever I'd get super nervous before a competition. She would talk to me about the training from the Bhagavad Gita where, you know, we'll break it down, but Arjuna... Before he would fight, what Krishna told him, be detached from the results, do your work, do your duty. But then when it comes time for me for the competition, be detached. All of this has already happened. So anyway, from there, I ended up tearing the ligaments and I had to really sit with who am I beyond what I do? I was 18 at the time and I went through my mini existential crisis. That's around the time we moved to California And I tried to rediscover my passions, got into many different things, YouTube, spin teacher. And then after UCLA, I went through another little, you know, sometimes it's hard to figure out what is my duty? What is my dharma? Mm. When you went through your rough phase in college, figuring yourself out. I think that's relatable to probably everybody. I, think, I, think,
2: I hope, I pray that, like, I always wanted to be born with, like, a sign on my forehead that tells me what I'm supposed to be, do- oh my supposed God. To be doing. I would right.
0: love that. You know what I mean?
2: Like, Still dreaming as, like, about it. Yeah, like, as long day. as we come, like, when <laughs> we come out of the womb and it's just written on our forehead, that we'll be like, okay, mm-hmm. this one's supposed to be a surgeon. This one's going to be a plumber, you know? Like, we, like <laughs> we don't have to ask all those questions, so. you know, In
1: a way, yeah, going through that hardship, being totally lost. I even started questioning parts of the philosophy I was born into. I felt super lost at that time. But when you come back to it and find the answers to these questions that sometimes plague us, it's with an even deeper sense of faith, belief, and conviction in it. And for me, throughout all of the journeys of my life, now I became from a caregiver, I became now a full-time teacher and I'm doing my master's with kids and seeing those little souls and how kids get it without even knowing they Mm -hmm. get it. For me, I always think of the teachings of the Bhagavad Gita and you know, it sparks compassion for all souls on our journey. The Gita really just gives you a compass with how to live, act, and move forwards through the ups and downs. So I,
2: I love that. Yeah. And I feel like you. We've all had so many existential crises. I know I've had like
1: during oh, man, the pandemic, yeah. every other had day, one every other day, right?
2: <laughs> and so I think this podcast is for anyone who has those existential moments where you're like, mm-hmm. "Who am I? What am I supposed to do here? What is my purpose here? How do I control this this monkey mind of mine?" And so I think this podcast is just for, for people who've had those, who've, who've asked those deeper questions.
1: Right. So thanks for sharing. The answers breathe in and out through every moment to moment decision. So yeah, with that, Priya. Who are you? <laughs> well, first, that was an
0: awesome story. Like, there's so much to impact there. I feel like we could have oh. a whole episode about Shambhali. I know. She's been a spin teacher. She's a figure <laughs> skater competing like, at the Olympics. Snaps. What? Oh. But snaps. I feel like you
1: have many similarities also and differences in kind of your introduction to it. Yeah.
0: I mean, I guess we do have a lot of things in common. Um, I um, was also born, I guess you were born in the United States, but I was born in South America, Venezuela. Mm. Um, so... My parents, I think, okay, the story of me actually starts with my parents because, mm. you know, if it, especially all of it being tied to the bhakti movement. Um, my parents... Grew up in the '70s, also mm. probably would have been friends with Shamli's parents. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> they could have traveled the mountains
1: and they're together. I don't together. know. You know,
0: I feel like they grew up in a more like very Catholic environment. They mm. were like goody two shoes in a sense. I mean, I don't not in a bad way, but just very devoted to their families mm. and and the religion. Actually, were mm. they
2: were they practicing like? like I think they were yeah, Catholic.
0: You know, I, as my dad's side definitely, but mm. it was definitely like the parents pull the kids. Mm-hmm. And whereas my mom's side, it was a little bit more relaxed. And my grandmother later on in life was like a Buddhist and like all, all kinds of things. So she's always been, she's into natural medicine. She's spiritual. Yeah. She's always been spiritual. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. But basically my mother was a teenager. She must've been 17 or 18 and she had a hippie cousin mm-hmm. and her life was very like, everything was planned for her. So she, I think she was looking for something more like to figure out her own identity and mm. to figure out herself. And um, she had a hippie mm. cousin who gave her a pamphlet or a book and it was something related to the Bhakti movement. And she read it and she thought it was really interesting and she wanted to find these people that, you know, <laughs> created this book. And so she ended up going to a temple in Caracas mm. and um, she loved it. It was everything was everything she ever, you know, dreamed mm. in, in, in a religion and in, in a, in a community, in a family of some sort, you know? Can you and say
2: Caracas again? <laughs> <laughs> Caracas. Oh,
1: que <laughs> <laughs> Yeah,
0: so um, my mom really loved it, and she was dating my dad at the time, and uh, my mom would bring my dad in, and he thought it was weird. He just didn't, you know, you, you grow up being one thing and being Catholic and going to church. Like it's a very different environment if you go to a temple where it's mm-hmm. like loud music and people dancing. <laughs> and like it's a whole different environment that you don't expect, especially in a very Catholic country. Right. Um, so my dad didn't really get it until he had the food. Mm. <laughs> and then he was like, oh, man, I'll come here for the food anytime. I right. <laughs> like kind of pulled him in. Eventually, he met um, someone who really inspired him and he really got into the philosophy. And so then I was born into it. Mm -hmm. So my parents both kind of really went deep. And um, it's super interesting because the rest of my family is not Hindu. Mm -hmm. Uh, The rest of my family is very much Catholic. And Mm -hmm. I like remember being a young kid and like my grandma taking me to her church. And I think in her head, she was like, I just want her to be Catholic. And in my (laughs) mind, I was like, this is cool. I like both. And, you know, being a part of the Bhakti movement, you you know that we're not really exclusive. We're, like, really mm-hmm. accepting and open and just, like, just because you're a Buddhist, like, we can be friends. That's mm-hmm. awesome. Like, that's not a problem. We share philosophies. Actually, it's all kind of connected, right, you know? 100%. So, um, yeah, then I moved to the United States and I moved to Texas also. <laughs> and that's where I met Shamali, actually. Yeah, we actually <laughs> knew each other way
1: back when. Yeah,
0: we met before. Um, And so... In Texas, I just remember when it was time for college, I was like, I just want to be near a temple and I want to be near people my age. I really always love the philosophy. I love festivals. I love everything about it. I just, um, it's always been a part of my life. And in terms of the Bhagavad Gita, I, in Houston, I met um, someone who, I got to give him a lot of credit. Um, He sort of brought all the people my age together and he formed like a study group for the Gita And at first it was like super intimidating, but I was also like really excited to learn
1: Mm. because I
0: kind of grew up um, not loving to read, (laughs) you know? So it wasn't like my favorite thing to do. But now with a group of people, I was like, okay, I'm down to try this, you know? Um, And looking back, I'm like, it was really cool, but I don't remember. I was so
1: young. Mm, There's so much to digest in this book, you know? Right. It's like one of those books that at whatever stage in life you read it, you'll take something else out of it. Definitely. You can learn... From it
0: over and over and over mm-hmm. again. No matter how many
1: times you read it, it's like, oh, I didn't catch that before. That's they were, so relevant to my life right now. Mm-hmm. We were just talking before recording how like even now reading it, preparing for today, we things jumped out that had never jumped out before. Definitely. Yeah.
0: Yeah. So I basically grew up very much in the environment of, you know, the temple. I mm-hmm. grew up going to summer camps that were like part of the temple too. And I made a lot of friends all over the United States and um, it's always something that I've really treasured and I really love what we're doing now because I feel like I'm at an age, I, I've read through the Bhagavad Gita multiple times, but mm-hmm. I feel like this time I'm doing it in a way that I will never forget. We're mm-hmm. doing it slowly. We're doing mm-hmm. it so consciously. And then we're also just trying to share our experience. So other people can connect with us too. Yeah. And um, actually a part of, the reason this came together, there's lots of reasons why this came together. You know, we all have our own kind of like mm-hmm. how we got here. But for <laughs> me, it was my sister. Mm. Um, my sister also kind of reached out to me and she was like, hey, you know, like I'm going to college. I'm doing a lot of things. I'm really busy. But I, I really want to connect in some way to our philosophy because most of her life is, you mm. know, just school. <laughs> you know, right. it's like other stuff. And um, I, she lives in Texas and I live in California. So it was kind of like, oh, how do I help her? How to like, you know, I guide her in any way. And so we started a book club, like a siblings book club. So it was just like my siblings and I, and we were just reading through it, but we got so busy. It was so hard. And so I was like, how else could Mm. I provide a way for my sister? Like I love podcasts. So like a way for my sister to be able to like tune in and like learn more and feel connected, Mm -hmm. right? In a way that also helps me be more connected and other people can be connected too. So it just, podcasts seemed like a great way to... Kind of bring us all together. You're, you're
2: right. kind of like an amazing big sister. Like, like, like who else does that? Like I want to make sure that my that my little sister is good in college. She's Aww. off the track. She's a double- <laughs> <laughs> like you're Who's like sad? the ideal big sister. So kudos. Aww,
0: thank you. That's really sweet. It's it's her inspiration actually, and you know actually it's not just her inspiration, but it's the two of you because uh, you guys are awesome people. I mean, Aww. Shama Sengita has been doing the. Hopeful Hindu uh, for a while. Check
2: out www.hopefulhindu.com.
0: <laughs> Is that
2: really Just a, a website? Plug. Yeah, it's a real website. Amazing. <laughs> yeah. It's my not so um, a subtle plug.
0: And I know Shamali has been uh, also wanting to figure out how to bring spirituality more into her life and in for others also. So I just mm-hmm. thought like this group of people would be amazing to talk this through. Love mm. it. Thank
2: you so much. And we are super excited be- to be doing this with you, Priya, because yeah. you brought us together for this podcast. Nobody was thinking <laughs> totally. about starting a podcast until Priya was like, guys, let's do this.
1: <laughs> when you're a part of a community and a group doing it, it takes on a whole other layer. So Definitely. hopefully in this platform, we're creating a community now that will just go building. Perfect. So, so we're, we're gonna dive
2: right into setting the scene. All I love right. it. Let's do it. So this is like it's really, really important for us to set the scene because the Bhagavad Gita can get super confusing. So we are using um Srila Prabhupada's Bhagavad Gita as it is. If you don't have a copy, you can get one by DMing us. We'll share our handles also we'll share our handles yes.
0: later. Also if if you just want to read it online for free, vetabase.com I O, I believe. You can just Google it. VedaBase, V-E-D A B A S E dot i o um, yes, If you can just go on there, you'll see all of them for free. So you perfect. can read along with us.
2: Yep. So we are just gonna be setting the scene. We're gonna read it paragraph by paragraph. And we're going to do a little bit of a deeper analysis so that you understand, because if you, I've read this by myself when I was a college kid and I didn't understand any (laughs) of it. Right. And it's such an important like pretext to, to understand what's actually happening in the Gita.
0: Yeah. I actually, you know, I've read the Bhagavad Gita multiple times, and I don't know how I've never read this part. Mm. <laughs> I think we always started, like, just chapter one, text one, and I just never read this, and it's awesome, and it's so simple and short, and let's get started. Love
2: it. And Priya and Shamli, if you can uh, start us off with the beginning prayers.
0: Oh, yes. Let's All do right. it. Ready? Ready? Om my
1: Te Jnanam
0: Jana Shalakaya Chakshuru Militam Yena tasmai Shri Gurave
2: Namaha Oh, I love that. that was so beautiful. Oh, that was Lord. great. <laughs> and so the translation of that, just for if you don't know, is I was born in the darkest ignorance, ignorance, and my spiritual master opened my eyes with the torch of knowledge, and I offer my respectful obeisances onto him. And so whatever we do in this about yoga tradition is that we all always offer respect to our
1: teachers, right? Our gurus. Mm.
2: You've heard that term guru before. Part of a before. long
1: lineage of ancient wisdom coming down mm-hmm. to us.
2: Yes. yes, love it. So thank you so much for doing
1: that, guys. All right. Well, so we
2: are on setting the scene. What is actually happening here? Okay, so I'll dive right in and then we'll just talk about our commentary. We'll try to explain some terms that might be um, new to you. And if you know them already, then you'll you'll just get some more knowledge. So it's going to be great. So although widely published and read by itself, the Bhagavad Gita originally appears as an episode in the Mahabharata, the epic Sanskrit history of the ancient world. The Mahabharata tells of events leading up to the present age of Kali. It was at the beginning of this age, some 50 centuries ago, that Lord Krishna spoke the Bhagavad Gita to his friend and devotee Arjuna.
1: So maybe we pause a second and say, "What? Do, what is 50 centuries? Do we realize 5, how thousand ancient... 5,000 years. I think you Googled it, right? <laughs> I totally Googled We're it because I was also
0: this. thinking like 50 centuries. I, that's not a way my brain can compute time. So I just Googled <laughs> it 5,000 years ago. Um, that was the beginning of this particular age.
2: I love that. Okay, so now we what we've established in this paragraph is that this book is just one giant conversation between two people, Krishna and?
1: His best friend and cousin, Arjuna. <laughs> love it. Yes. Right.
2: Love it. Okay, is there anything else that... Um,
1: One thing worth mentioning, which I think we can totally go into later on, Mm -hmm. is that this is one chapter of a much bigger epic that's the greatest epic in India, the Mahabharata. So later on, we can give more info about that, but just, you know, it's part of a whole. Definitely. So their discourse is one of the greatest philosophical and religious dialogues known to man. It took place just before the onset of war, a great fratai whoa, what word fratai? (laughs) (laughs) Pre-tricidal?
2: Pre-tricidal. <laughs> <laughs> oh
1: Conflict between the hundred sons of Dhritarashtra and on the opposing side, their cousins the Pandavas or the sons of Pandu.
2: Okay, so this is a lot. <laughs> Who are these people? So I like to break it down as to how many you guys have seen The Lion King before. Yes. yes. So imagine like Pandu and Dishrashtra are kind of like Scar and Mufasa, okay? Mm-hmm. So Dishrashtra, I can't even say his name. He's just, he's he's the evil dude, okay? So he's the Scar in the situation, and both of them are brothers. So uh, I like to call him Evil D because I oh, cannot Lord. pronounce Dishrashtra. <laughs> I cannot pronounce it. You can do it. So Dishrashtra.
1: <laughs> and they really represent <laughs> justice, injustice, light, mm-hmm. and dark, and it takes place in this battlefield against both sides in a such an epic story. Yeah, and
2: so essentially these two are brothers, right? Pandu's the nice guy, so I like to call him polite Pandu, right? So <laughs> I like that. Yeah, <laughs> both of them are brothers, right. and the... Um, the the sons of Dushrasha, the evil guy, evil D, he had a hundred evil sons. Okay, there was contraception wasn't a thing back then, so I don't know how he <laughs> got to a hundred uh, sons. I feel like there you got to read the Mahabharata
0: <laughs> to learn actually how that happened. That's but true. there's
2: probably a bigger story barely. here that I'm missing. But there was a hundred. <laughs> he had a hundred evil sons, and then polite Pandu actually had. Five really, really noble um, Great sons And yeah. one of those sons was Arjuna Who's who's one of our main characters
0: mm-hmm. um, How will, you know I actually have a really hard time remembering names What's a good way for us to remember These people? So we have Evil D Which is Dhritarashtra Yep and then we have Polite Pandu. I love that. Um, I know Arjuna's the main character and we're likely to remember him, but is there anything we can think of?
2: Ah, uh, yes. Okay. So Arjuna always has a mustache. I always think of him as the guy on the Pringles can. So oh my like, God. Like, like, if you ever like, go to a grocery store and you see a Pringles mustache. can, I always think Arjuna. Okay. And he's like a okay. skilled
1: archer. So we'll say Arjuna the archer. Oh, I love okay, that. That's nice. That's better than the man. Yeah. I like 100%. it. 100%. Mustache. Archer. Yes. Yeah, imagine archer the
2: Pringles the can holding an archery okay, bow. Okay, so let's <laughs>
0: move on. Moving on. <laughs> so, Dhritarashtra and Pandu were brothers born in the Kuru dynasty, descending from King Varta, a former ruler of the earth, from whom the name Mahabharata derives. Because Dhritarashtra, evil D, the elder brother, was born blind, the throne was that was otherwise would have been his, was passed down to the younger brother, Polite Pandu.
1: Okay, mm. so the,
2: you know that epic scene from from The Lion King where Mufasa <laughs> dies?
1: On the cliff, right? He's yes, about to, to let him go. go. Exactly. Like, yeah. So that's
2: exactly what happens here, is that mm-hmm. Mufasa dies, Polite Pandu dies, mm. and that's when things get a little crazy. Power gets to people's heads, mm-hmm. you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-mm-mm. Oh, that's me. Okay, when Pandu <laughs> died at an early age, his five children, line... Yudhisthira. <laughs> yep, that's it. That was one of that's his eldest son. Bhima, Arjuna, Nakula, and Sahadev came under the care of of evil D, who in effect became, for the time being, the king. Thus, the sons of evil D and those of Pandu Pandu grew up in the same royal household. Both were trained in the military arts by the expert Drona and counselled and revered by grandfather of the clan, Bishma.
1: This is important to note that when they're fighting against each other, they grew up together. These are your mm. family,
2: your oh relatives, your
1: friends. It makes that everything more
0: intense. Yeah. Mm-hmm, can we can stage. we break down the people? Again, yes. I'm just like very much about like, let's try to kind of remember the people. So again, we have Polite Pandu died. And then we have yes, the
2: his good five children. children. The, good, the good children, right? The mm-hmm. good five children. Yeah. So. You, this
1: dear, Bhima, Arjuna, the archer. Arjuna, the, the Archer. twins, Nakula and Sahadev.
2: Yeah.
0: Judas is like supposed to be the... The righteous one. The righteous older brother. Mm, and that. then Bhima is like Hercules. He's really strong. Mm-hmm. He can eat... As much as, I don't even know, we'll we'll get to that, but a a lot of people. (laughs) Um, And then we know Arjuna, our archer, and then Nikula and Sahadeva are twins.
1: Got it. Okay,
2: Mm. so Pandu dies, and then his five kids come under the care of the evil, evil uncle, essentially, Mm. right?
1: Yeah. So, yet the sons of Jitarastra, especially the eldest, evil Duryodhana, (laughs) what were you going to call him? Evil Duryodhana. Yeah, let's call him that. Okay. (laughs) He hated (laughs) and envied the Pandavas, and the blind and weak-minded, evil D., Wanted his own sons, not those of Pandu, to inherit the kingdom. It really is the Lion King mm. with the battle of the the jealousies going on mm-hmm. here.
2: One hundred percent. It's also like 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 Game of Thrones style too, yeah. right? It's like no one wants to inherit the kingdom.
1: Yeah, all these
0: guys got it from here. You, you got to know that, right? Yep. <laughs> <laughs> all right. Thus, durjodhana So he's also he's the evil D son. Mm-hmm. With Dhritarashtra's consent, with his father's consent, plotted to kill the young sons of Pandu, polite Pandu. It was only by the careful protection of their uncle Vidura and their cousin, Lord Krishna, that the Pandavas escaped the many attempts
1: against their lives.
2: So the, the hundred evil sons are constantly trying to kill these mm-hmm. five
1: good sons. Yeah. Like constantly. And we'll find out later the true nature of Krishna, this being who just is always there to help. Thanks yeah. to Krishna.
0: Yep. If you want to know more about the stories on how they try to get you know, how they were attempted to be killed multiple times, that's mm-hmm. that's, that's, the that's in the Mahabharata. So mm-hmm. if you want to know more about that, you can check that out.
2: Love it. Definitely. Now, Lord Krishna was not an ordinary man, but the supreme godhead himself, who had descended to earth and was playing the role of a prince in a contemporary dynasty. In this role, he was also the nephew of Pan- Pandu's wife, Kunti, or Pritha, the mother of the Pandavas. So both... As a relative and as an internal upholder of religion Krishna favored the righteous sons of Pandu and protected them.
1: The good will always prevail basically. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Ultimately, however, the clever Duryodhana, the evilest son of evil D, challenged mm-hmm. the Pandavas to a gambling match. In the course of that f- fateful tournament, Duryodhana and his brothers took possession of Draupadi the wife of the Pandavas, the good Pandavas, the chaste and devoted wife, oh, there it says, of the Pandavas, and insultingly tried to strip her naked before the entire assembly of princes and kings. Ooh. Krishna's divine intervention saved her, but the gambling, which was rigged, cheated the Pandavas of their kingdom and forced them into 13 years of exile.
2: So you could see how, like, the, like, terribly the Pandavas were treated... Um, you could see how terribly they were treated by the hundred evil sons, right? Like they yeah. tried to to humiliate their wife. They tried to, they sent them into exile for 13 years. It was and just a bad situation. They
0: tolerated
1: a lot. Building yeah, that's up what the I was going to say. Of the battlefield. Like you,
0: you can look at the, what the evil that was done, but you can also look at how good they were. Like mm. after being tried to be killed multiple times, after their wives being put in such a difficult position, after all these things, like they still were like, okay, we'll leave for 13 years. Mm. Like they're mm-hmm. really good. The humble, humble yeah. man, you know. Mm-hmm. Upon returning from exile, the Pandavas rightfully requested their kingdom from Duryodhana, who bluntly refused to yield it. Duty bound as princes to serve in public administration, the five Pandavas reduced their request to a mere five villages. But Duryodhana arrogantly replied that he wouldn't spare them enough land. Into which to drive a pin.
2: Oh my God. Imagine coming back from a forest after 13 years of exile. And you're, you come back and you think you're going to inherit your, you, the well-deserved kingdom. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then the evil, evil the other is like, nope, you don't get any of this. Zero.
0: Yeah, Like I get it if it was uh, just a person that, an enemy of some sort. But this is like your family. That's a very really difficult Yep. And to have to deal with.
2: 100%, right? And throughout all of this, the Pandavas had been consistently tolerant and forbearing, but now war seemed inevitable. Nonetheless, as the princes of the world divided, some siding with the sons of Evil D, others with the Pandavas, Krishna himself took the role of messenger for the sons of Pandu and went to the court of Evil D to plead for peace. And when his pleas were refused, war was now certain.
1: So they basically tried everything in their power to stop Mm -hmm. the onset of this war. Because, you know, the Pandavas, they were men of the highest moral stature and recognized Krishna to be the supreme personality of Godhead, whereas the impious sons of evil D did not. Yet Krishna offered to enter the war according to the desire of the antagonist. As God, he would not personally fight, but whoever so desired might avail himself of Krishna's army, and the other side could have Krishna himself as an advisor and helper. Duryodhana, the most evil of evil D's son, the political genius, snatched at Krishna's armed forces, while Pandavas were equally eager to have Krishna himself. Mm,
2: That's so says fascinating. a lot that is wild imagine like Krishna's like hey you can either have me one single person <laughs> yeah. or you can have my army and the evil guys are like of course I'm going to take your army <laughs> right because
1: they yeah. didn't know
2: the power of Krishna
1: his vision was they couldn't clouded. see it
0: mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in this way Krishna became the charioteer of Arjuna taking it upon himself to drive the fabled bowman's chariot this brings us to the point at which the Bhagavad Gita begins With the two armies arrayed, ready for combat, and Dhritarashtra, evil D, anxiously inquiring of his secretary Sanjaya, what did they do?
2: Okay, so we have to remember that Evil D is blind, right? So mm-hmm. he has a servant, a uh, secretary named Sanjaya. And so he, Sanjaya has kind of like a... Mystical
1: mag- powers yeah. to see past, present, future, people's mm-hmm. intentions.
2: Right, and so that's why he asks his secretary, what did they do? And so that's the very first verse of the mm-hmm. Gita, which we'll get into the next episode. But the, the scene is set with only the need for a brief note regarding this translation and commentary. The general pattern... Translators have followed in rendering the Bhagavad Gita into English and have been to brush aside the person Krishna to make room for their own concepts and philosophies. The history of the Mahabharata is taken as quaint mythology, and Krishna becomes a poetic device for presenting the ideas of some anonymous genius, or at best, he becomes a minor historical personage.
1: Right, so just like the evil son of evil D, they, a lot of people want to brush Krishna aside because they don't get his full potency. Mm-hmm. Not that these other authors are evil, but just you sometimes don't see it.
0: Yeah, it becomes uh, like a fable instead of a real story that right. happened or like, a, oh, learn from this, but it isn't real. And that just, we want to clarify, this is actually very much happened. Oh, my God.
2: This is like this war actually took place in a place called Kurukshetra, which a place that you can visit in modern day India today. Yeah. So this is a very much
1: I, real place. I feel real like place. we could dedicate a whole episode to talking about The things that show also how real this is, because Mm. you can go to the battlefield of Kurukshetra. But, you know, we can expand upon that later because it's worth it. So, but the person Krishna is both the goal and the substance of Bhagavad Gita so far as the Gita speaks of itself. This translation then and the commentary that accompanies its propose Propose to direct (laughs) the reader of Krishna to Krishna rather than away from him.
0: Yeah, the Bhagavad Gita thus becomes wholly consistent and comprehensible. Since Krishna is the speaker of the Gita and Mm. it is its ultimate goal as well, Bhagavad Gita as it is presents this great scripture in its true terms. I think here they're just trying to clarify why we're reading out of this particular book, why this book was made. It was because Mm -hmm. it was taken to be Krishna's words directly,
1: Mm -hmm. right? love it, yep. And the title even says Bhagavad Gita as it is, which is the version we're reading, most original, most untouched and truest to its meaning.
2: Love it. All right. And so so this book is 18 chapters, 700 verses. We are going to go through every single verse with you on this podcast and explain it in a way that makes sense. And we'll try to have some laughs along the way.
0: Definitely. Mm. If you guys have any questions or commentary, um,
2: feel free to like reach out to us. Like we'll put our channels up in the, the bottom of, of the links of wherever we're posting this podcast. Our, our, <laughs> we're still figuring out <laughs> how it works. We have an official
1: <laughs> tech person producer who,
2: who has got our back. But yeah, if there are any questions that you have, because it, it is a kind of a, a difficult read if you don't have, you know, the right people guiding you. And, and you know, we reach out to our, our teachers and our gurus all the time just to understand this a little bit better. But if you do have questions, we'll put our handles inside of the caption and you can reach out to us at any time
1: to ask any questions. Yes, that sounds great. So well, we, we left have, it on a big cliffhanger here. The definitely. battle is ready to begin. The armies are staring each other down. What is about to unfold? We will all find out. Very soon. Very soon. But before we get to that, we
0: will be doing the introduction. So we'll be kind of going in order of the book. And so we'll be kind of reading through some of that and explaining a little bit. We're just basically your, like I like we said before, your book club buddies, right? So we're reading through this whole book with you. Um, and taking the most out of it and trying to make it fun and entertaining.
2: Absolutely. And so it's kind of like, you know, when you go to the doctor and they give you a prescription and it's like, he tells you exactly what you need to do. And so like, this is kind of like you, you read the directions as is, Right. And Mm -hmm. so like, it's, it's not like whimsical interpretation. Mm -hmm. You read it in a mood of like, in a mood of devotion.
1: Yeah. Because they say this book is non-different from the potency of divinity and the source itself. So you'll see great transformations happening through the story as it unfolds in our own lives.
2: Yeah. And so um, there's a, there's a, in the introduction, they talk a lot about, you know, asking questions, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that is the start of every single spiritual person's journey is asking questions, like why things are happening, why they're suffering in the world. And Mm -hmm. I think like in the introduction, it talks about that too. It's like the person who starts asking questions about suffering, that's when they're on their path.
1: Yeah, Mm -hmm. It's kind of like we all walk around life with our heads down. And then when you can finally look up beyond the veil, what's the point of everything? Why? Like you said, Shama, why am I working? Why am I going to school? Was this all lead for me just to have lots of money (laughs) Mm -hmm. and then die one day? No. There's something so much more fulfilling to be uncovered.
2: Yeah, I love that. And, and Arjuna kind of represents us, right? He's yeah. asking those big questions like, mm-hmm. like, who am I? What am I supposed to do here? Like, why am I on a battlefield? Why am I trying to kill people? Like all of those questions that we'll talk about in episode two, he's asking all those big questions that we ask ourselves when we're having existential crises, right? Multiple so, times a year. And multiple times <laughs> a year, right? And so we right. ask those questions. And we also have to remember that Krishna is no ordinary person, right? Yeah. He is the supreme authority on 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 everything that has to do with spirituality. And so like he's seeking on advice everything. from him. And so I think it's uh, it's good that we we sneak in on this conversation to learn mm. a little bit
1: ourselves.
0: Yeah. Looking forward to this, guys. I yeah. can't wait
1: for the rest to unfold. All, All right. right. We'll see you next time. See you th- next time. Thank see you, you s- for episode two. Thank you so much for tuning in.